Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nomad Zoo and I. Mark Dunnigan, what a busy day we had today. Yes. Well, when is a day we don't have a busy day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So while you ran two hours east and back to go retrieve a car that got yeah. worked on, I think I'm kind of setting a record today, Mark. I think today is the first day where I wrote an entire entry for my 100 Churches project. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was maybe a six to seven hour Venture, and so that was for the congregation in Cookville, Tennessee. You'll and speak. that will be posted on Nomad You and I. Thank you very much. Yes, it will. And Lord willing, Andy Alexander, if you're out there, we're kind of counting on you to publish this book for us. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I have about eight entries left. And then after that, in the early evening, we I did a live internet program on older women, likewise. Yep. And that went very well. Conversation with Isla King and Dana Burke on the topic of the joy of expressing compassion. And here we are, Mark. Here Here we we are are to do a podcast. (laughs) That was a busy, busy day. So we have been taking just a couple of minutes to recall some memories of what just happened. How many weeks, Mark, did we live nomadically since? Since Florida? Like 2.5 2.5 to 3.0. <laughs> we arrived at 3.0. Because we're coming up on three full years. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Leg 2.5. So I'm just kind of looking at a list of the various places that we visited. So after we visit, we talked about the Dismal Canyon in Northwest Alabama and the little glowworms on our last podcast. After that, Mark, Terry Benton, this preacher that does your program with you, Answering Religious Error, who knew? He could play the guitar and and the harmonica. At the same time. (laughs) At the same time. And so we had a little bit of a theme going because he sang Poke Salad Annie. And Poke Salad Annie showed up. Yes, this sweet little preschooler was there with her mom and dad, and she was digging the music and cutting the rug. We'll just Mm -hmm. say that. (laughs) The funny thing was the next day we go to this really cool they take us to this really cool restaurant rattlesnake something or other yeah had a rattlesnake theme to it actually you went out in the country you got in the back of somebody's pickup truck right yeah and they took you down and the restaurant is actually a rock enclosure that the rock comes out and covers a good section but it's very open yes i mean is this about half the size size of a maybe football field or something it's huge so i mean there may be 30 round tables in it so it's a large restaurant yeah but this rock hangs over it there's a waterfall coming off it yeah it's just so interesting but (laughs) while the truck is about to drop us off down to the restaurant Guess what song is playing? Poke Salad Annie. Poke Salad Annie. So we were having a little bit of a theme there. It's yes. like, wow. All right. So the next stop, wow, that was a 180 degree turn because the next stop is actually, we went by the home of Helen Keller. Like we childhood missed that. Childhood home. Yeah, yeah, the childhood home of Helen Keller. So we missed that. In, on the first leg. On the first leg. And I'm like, hang on. I want to come back here sometime when we have more time to explore this. And Mark, what were some of the highlights of Helen Keller's house that you remember? Well, among other things is that 80% of it's original as far as the items, dresses, oh, yeah. whatever. Th- yeah. That's your real stuff. The other thing that really struck me is so... Helen Keller, I think, has a fever, et cetera, at about what? 18 months, was 18 it? months of age. And she comes out of that and she's now deaf and she can't talk mm-hmm. and she's blind. Eventually, Ann Sullivan shows up, the teacher. And one of the great lessons there is the importance of discipline. Yeah. Because the family was, you know, like kind of letting her get away with a lot of stuff. Anything, pretty a, much. A, yeah. a false compassion. 
there not it is. doing Helen any good. There you go. The other thing, though, is I said to um, the tour guide, is there anything she knew before anyone else told her? Because okay. she's deaf, she's blind, and she can't talk, so there's really no way the culture can tell her anything. All right, right? all right. And the tour guide said, well, God. She said uh-huh. she always knew there was a God, but uh-huh. she didn't know his name. And I think that's a great test case for, her, yeah. especially like big concepts like God. And yet she already knows that. I think Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about eternities in her heart. Yeah. And I think that's proof that you're born a believer. You're oh, not born yes. an unbeliever. Good point. Yes. Amazing. All right. Are you, Mark Dunnigan, ready to dig into 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's Second Peter 2, 1 through 10. I like how it starts at therefore, so we link it to the previous chapter. To me, it's like, okay, uh, you've been redeemed with precious blood, and you have a great salvation that angels wanted to look into, and you're to love one another fervently from the heart. Mm-hmm. Therefore, get rid of anything that would get in the way of that. Get rid of anything that would be unworthy of that sort of life. And so I like how he says, put aside, which is very simple language. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. Yeah, this can be hard. But at the end of the day, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can make the decision. I'm going to get rid of. And then I like what he said, all. It's like all malice. It's all deceit. It's all hypocrisy. It's all envy. Mm-hmm. That. There's like zero toleration for sin. Yeah. Isn't it empowering that we can, my translation says, rid yourselves. We can rid ourselves. We choose what to rid our lives of. So I love that. We're not at the mercy of falling into things that we have a genetic predisposition for. We're all going to have those. You know, we like to talk about our talents. We also have some genetic predispositions towards some vices, and we can rid ourselves through the strength that he supplies. Love that. So malice would be like ill will, okay. especially the desire to injure somebody. Oh, uh-huh. Often in the Bible, it's joined with grumbling, bitterness, and envy. So okay. that's not a good combination. Mm. Guile, at least that's what mine says, 
Mine's deceit. I think it's important that it's like linked with hypocrisy. So okay. it's play acting, it's pretending, it's being false, it's being fake. You might say it's being guarded in the wrong way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then envy is a feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage mm-hmm. or prosperity of others. Right, because sometimes we tend to misunderstand envy as we compare it to jealousy. So jealousy is that you are having negative emotion about con- over concern that someone's going to take what you have. Right. Whereas envy is your desire to have what belongs to someone else. And slander to me basically is speech designed to undermine a person's reputation. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, I don't see how anyone could argue with, well, I want to keep some of that. No, it's just like, well, and what would the that's wor- good. <laughs> what would the world look like if everyone just obeyed this one verse of the Bible and suddenly there is no malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander in the world? I mean, a lot of problems would be solved. So then it says, and like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. So I think the thought is, Hunger and thirst for the Word of God, which, remember, chapter 1 talked about, right? Incorruptible seed, living and abiding. Hunger and thirst for the Word of God, like a newborn infant, hungers for food. Yeah, and so I think there's a contrast here. There was the rid yourself Mm -hmm. in in verse 1, and then there in verse 2, long for. So again, you're choosing what you're going to be ravenous for, you know? You are choosing what you're going to rid yourself of. Well, I like your word ravenous. You're going to be ravenous for something. Mm -hmm. People can be ravenous for slander, and people can be very ravenous for envy. But it's thought like, get rid of that, and here's what you replace it with, an intense desire for God's communication to man. Mm -hmm. This comparison of the Word of God to the pure milk to me is really emphasizing how nourishing and life-sustaining and growth-producing that the Word of God really is to our soul. Yeah, and the word pure, I think, is important Mm -hmm. here. That is, it's a message you can trust without reservation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll take medication and they'll go like, okay, but here's the side effects of that, right? Yeah. And there are no side effects of God's Word. It's spiritual food. You know, there's a lot of wonderful benefits to poetry, good literature, art, music, and so on. Right. But none of that can even compare with the role that only the Bible can fulfill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Word of God is the nourishing food. And I really like the idea, it's pure. Mm-hmm. Um, you can accept it without reservation. Absolutely. And then it follows next why we're going to long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That's a neat idea is that obviously these people are saved. They had salvation, but it's they're not going to stop there. Mm. There is a sense that our salvation is conditional and we're supposed to grow in it. Yes. And so spiritual growth is a completely dependent upon our attitudes towards and our time in Scripture And so Hebrews 5, verse 14 would talk about that the people that spend a lot of time in Scripture Mm -hmm. are mature individuals Mm -hmm. who are able to discern good from evil. Yes, that's an indispensable skill for sure. That's one of the most important skills to have. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Yeah, tasted here I think means experience. Mm -hmm. And obviously these Christians had experienced that God is kind, that is They had experienced his grace, Mm -hmm. his mercy. They had experienced the forgiveness of their sins. And 
I think the thought here is what he just said, get rid of the sin and and grow. That's not a problem for people who truly appreciate their Mm. deliverance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's only a problem. I mean, if we have a hard time getting motivated to read the Bible, et cetera, Mm -hmm. to read it with enjoyment, to pray. Yeah. It really shows that we really don't appreciate our deliverance. Mm, Yeah, everyone forgiven has tasted his kindness and from that point on is thus to be on a path of increasing growth for sure. It kind of reminds me, Mark, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. I think that's from the Psalms. Yes. All right, verse 4 says, And coming to him as to a living stone. This is an interesting section because it talks about living stones in the spiritual house. Yes. And someone said Peter uses extensive Old Testament imagery to show that New Testament believers from both a Jewish and Gentile background are, in fact, a new people of God who have come to possess all the blessings of Old Testament Israel, but in far greater measure. That is, the church or Christians are really the new nation of God. Yes, very important concept. the ultimate temple. The ultimate temple, yes. So the church of the living God is the same or very similar to the kingdom of God. And so the household of God, the household of God, um, it is a spiritual temple. Yes, Isaiah 28, 16, I believe, makes reference to the chief cornerstone, as does Matthew 21, 42. So it says, as coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. What a contrast. Yes. So the language of coming to him and it's you approach and it's this intimate association. Mm, mm -hmm. That same language is used in your Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, for coming into God's presence in the tabernacle. Really? As a priest. Yeah, we've come to Jesus, you know, obeying the gospel, becoming a Christian. But it it says we've come to him as to a living stone. And you're right. That's Isaiah 28, 16, which is quoted many places. Unlike other religions, the founder of Christianity is a self-existent being, Mm. the internal creator himself. Mm -hmm. He is a living stone. Mm -hmm. But I like how he quickly says rejected by men. Yeah. And it's like rejected after scrutiny and declared useless, one uh, lexicon says. Yeah. But you know what I, I see in that? It's these Christians were being rejected by men, too. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really like the idea here of the elite and the leaders of the time, both Roman, Jewish, etc. Yeah. Examined Jesus and rejected him. And, the, and it's like, why should you really care what people think? Exactly. And why are you taking your cues for the from the culture? Exactly. Because the culture back then rejected the Messiah. Yeah, often what is rejected by people are the people and values that are choice and precious in the sight of God. So being rejected by all the right people over all the right things, Mark, this is a badge of honor in some cases. So. Yes, yeah, so we're not going to take our cues from the culture. Right. Because they already have demonstrated their lack of wisdom. That living stone that they rejected, Yeah. it says, oh, by the way, that living stone is excellent choice, mm-hmm. precious, mm-hmm. held in honor, dear, yes. in the sight of God. And my thought is, that's really the only point of view that matters. Absolutely. Is how God thinks about it. Absolutely. And to me, I'm thinking that 
I want to be a part of the house that God builds. Like a lot of people have built a lot of religious organizations, a lot of their own temples based on their own teachings. I want to be a part of this holy temple where I'm a stone that's added to the beautiful temple and kingdom of God. So verse five says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. This is a little bit like the vine and branches comparison of John 15. Uh I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the living chief cornerstone. But you know, when we become a Christian, we become like living stones in this temple. Yes. That are built upon that. And I like how we're called living stones because that means we have life, vigor, vitality. There's no dead bricks <laughs> in yes. this, or dead wood in this particular temple. Mm-hmm. And with Jesus as the chief cornerstone and the foundation, you might say, it's a spiritual temple or it's a spiritual house. Obviously, the house is the church. First Timothy 3.15 says that. And you're added to this relationship upon baptism. In Acts chapter 2, 41, 47. But just like in the Old Testament, God only has one house. He only has one temple. Mm, right. Um, there's only one household, and it's composed of all believers, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Both the tabernacle and the temple were built according to an exact pattern. Mm. So we need to make sure that if we claim to be the church in the Bible, that we're actually following the pattern Mm -hmm. in the Bible for that relationship. Well, and when Hebrews talks about that, it's see to it that you make all things according to the pattern. So that's why we're a member of the Church of Christ. Now, that's not a brand name of a human organization. It just, Little C Church, it is a description of who we are. And as a body of Christ, we, that's what we're looking to do. We want to be organized exactly according to the pattern of the New Testament as we are being built up. We want to say the same things that God says with regard to what we must do to be saved. We want to say the same things that God says about the organization of the church and not create like other special positions of power within that organization, even down to the money flow of how we fund the necessary expenses involved in proclaiming Christ. That needs to be biblical. How we worship needs to be biblical. So we want to have a book, chapter, and verse for everything that we do. These living stones that now compose his spiritual house, he says, for a holy priesthood. And that's really what God desired for Israel. You'll find that language in Exodus 19.6. Upon conversion, each Christian is a priest, Revelation 1, 6, 5, verse 10. And therefore, each Christian is expected to offer something yes. to God. Now, I think we need to clarify this, though. Okay. This holy priesthood, this does not mean that every Christian can be an elder, or okay, every Christian right. can be an evangelist. Because there's a pattern for that, right? A pattern yeah. for like, here's what you need to be and do to be an elder. Right. Here's the qualifications that you need to possess. Or a deacon. All right. And so then it goes on to say, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First of all, that's always been the rule about sacrifice. Yes. Is it's the best, right? It's acceptable to God. Right. That's all that matters. It's yeah. not like, oh, it's acceptable to my feelings of how I feel like right. worshiping. No, it's, is it acceptable to God? And then that addition there of through Jesus Christ is just a reminder that 
He's our great high priest. He's the mediator. He's the only mediator between God and man. Well, and it's not like hit and miss that we've got to try to figure out what kind of sacrifice is acceptable to God. So verse 6 says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. All right. So this is Isaiah 28, 16. Ah. Uh, And so we're offering proof from that, or we're affirming support for what Peter has just said from several Old Testament quotations. Notice that Peter views the Old Testament not as myth or a story, but rather scripture. It's Mm -hmm. contained in scripture. And the word behold, it kind of says, hey, pay attention here. Pay attention to about what I'm going to say. And Zion is Jerusalem, or at least certain parts of the city since the time of David. The word Zion was used. Okay. So I'm going, here's God saying, in the future, I'm going to lay down a cornerstone in Zion, a precious cornerstone. Mm -hmm. This is not a literal stone because it's the person that believes in him will not be disappointed. And so this is an individual we're believing in. Ah, yes, good point. So what do you think it means, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame? Because I was kind of trying to figure out, is it now as we reap the stabilizing and life-enhancing ripple effects of living a virtuous life? You know, there's a lot There's a lot less shame when you're not like waking up with a hangover and you can't remember what you did last night <laughs> and a hundred other examples like that. Um, or is it like unashamed when he comes in judgment? Well, it could be some of that. I've kind of always taken it as you're not going to embark on the Christian life and say, boy, was this a mistake. Yeah. You know? How embarrassing. How embarrassing. And so it does work. It gives you a better life. But I also think there's a sense of at the end, you didn't waste your life on things that didn't matter, that Mm -hmm. weren't true. You didn't follow something that was like a pipe dream, or you didn't follow something that was like just a current cultural fad that faded away. And, And I love the verse. So many people tell Christians when we're standing up to the evil in the culture, they says, "Oh, you're gonna be on, the, you're gonna end up on the wrong side of history." And this verse says, mm. "No, you're not." Opposite town. Yeah. Yeah. Verse seven. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. Isn't it interesting how Jesus can be something completely different yes. for different people? That is, if you believe in Him, He's precious. That that yeah. is your. If you believe in him, you benefit from this. And notice there's a choice there. It's not that you're destined to believe or destined not to believe. Mm, there's a choice there. Yeah. Implying that you've had the full opportunity to believe, but you've rejected that. Yep. And it's in the present tense also of the person who oh, persists in right. refusing to be convinced. And so if you say, well, I'm going to reject Jesus, there's a warning here. And that is... The Jesus you rejected, your rejection of Jesus didn't change anything as yep. far as Jesus is concerned. Now, it changed something as far as your eternal destiny. But I love the thought here that this stone, which the builders rejected, the Jewish rulers rejected him and the Romans rejected him. Uh-huh. Guess what? That changed nothing. It became the it, it became the chief cornerstone in the building. Absolutely. It didn't stop God's purpose. Yeah. To this day, if you are rejecting the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, 
you're rejecting something and someone who is absolute perfection. He is the foundation of all other foundations. Your rejection of the truth, Jesus, the Bible, God, God, it's not going to stop God's purpose. Because what you're actually rejecting is your own salvation. Right. You, you think you're rejecting him. Okay, you're rejecting him. But in the course of doing that, you are going to be rejected yourself. Yeah, and you don't change reality. You're not changing reality. Uh-huh. This is still God's world, and you're not changing what's going to happen at the end. That's still going to happen. Yep. Verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. So a stone of stumbling is obviously a stone that causes men to stumble. Yes. The thought here may be a picture of construction workers who are stumbling over the very object they cast out and Mm. left to the side. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps more accurately, they continued to stumble at the projecting cornerstone even after God had placed it in the proper place yeah. at the head of the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to trip if you're someone who's offended by such truths as you were dead in your sins and must repent or perish. Like that's a lot of people stumble over that. They're like, excuse me? Notice there's no really middle ground here with Jesus as far as a neutral position. Mm. Uh, he, you either consider him precious value or he's a rock of offense. Mm. You're offended by him. And I think the thought is we need to realize that there's no way that we can make the gospel into a non-offensive message. Good point. Okay, so for they stumble because they were are disobedient to the word. And t- what do you make of, and to this they were also appointed? Well, I think the thought here is there's free will through all of this. And in fact, the people he's writing to have free will. He's telling them, choose this, do this, stop right. that. Yeah. Well, the text says they stumble because they're disobedient. Right. And so if you choose disobedience, then you're choosing a fate. Ah, you're being appointed to a fate when you have chosen disobedience. We got categories here. We got heavenly bliss and we got eternal punishment. And depending on which path you take, the end result is already appointed. Absolutely. You're the one who chooses which path you take. Yes. It reminds me of Ezekiel 18, four through nine, that says, behold, all souls are mine. The son of the father, as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances, so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Unquote. Yeah, Ezekiel 18 is a great chapter on free will choice. It's also a great chapter on how a son can have an amazing father, and, yes. and he can be a scoundrel, and a son can have a scoundrel of a father and actually see all his dad's sins, mm-hmm. and yet determine not to do likewise. Absolutely. We can learn from the sins and mistakes of our ancestors and do differently. We've met people that have started a new generation. We've met them all over America. Mm-hmm. So verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I Hallelujah. Like <laughs> yeah. I like, but you. I think it's mm. in contrast to yes. those who stumble because right. they're disobedient, because you recognize the precious value of Jesus mm-hmm. as a result of becoming a Christian you now have become part of a chosen race. And that's important, the word race there. There's a new race, and the race is Christian. 
There's just new, wonderful. And that's really the only race that matters at the end of the day. That's true. And then a royal priesthood, like your royalty, your priest of the king, you're part of this holy nation, mm-hmm. and you're people for God's own possession. Yes. So there's every reason to have self-worth and to just find your place in this temple that's being made as a living stone, finding your place in this temple that God is creating to his glory. You have a place and it's here. God wants you to be his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Someone said, Christian, do you realize that you have higher connections and more wealth Mm -hmm. than any earthly prince or king? Yes. These descriptions give us our purpose and our self-worth. But look how the verse continues. So that, why? So you can have self-worth? Not really. Here's here's the why. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So it's all about God. Yeah. And here's, I guess, here's your mission. Yes. Here's your mission in life to go out and tell people how great God is. Yes. How wise God is. And just the greatness of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's basically our reason for existing. Agreed. The reason we were created. A Christian. Yeah. Find your approaches, find your techniques, find your opportunities, and figure out how are you going to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful verse right there. It is. There's a statement in the next verse, verse 10, which I think is important. For you once were not a people. And right there, predestination Mm. dies. Okay. Explain how. Well, because if you're predestined, then you've always been part of God's people. True. There's no way that you could have ever been not a people. Okay. And if you were not chosen, then there's no way... No way way that you could become one of the chosen. There you go. So, yes. (laughs) But now you are the people of God. And so here we are in the past, sinners, etc., prior to conversion, they had not belonged to God. But now in Christ, they belong to God. This also points out that there's a number of people that Peter's writing to uh, that were from a non-Jewish background. Yes. And it says, you had not received mercy... But now you've received mercy. Mm. So as Gentiles, you were not born into your relationship with God that Old Testament Israel was. But Christ has broken down that racial barrier, Ephesians 2.14, so that we can become spiritual Israel, according to Romans 9. Yes. And so uh, I like what someone said. It, It could not be made any plainer that the church has replaced physical Israel as the people of God. Mm -hmm. And that from now on until the end of time, mercy will only be dispensed to the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That mercy is the most valuable element of my life, Mark Dunnigan. It is the only reason why I can say, Lord, come quickly, you know, that I can say I'm looking forward to meeting God face to face and basking in, as verse 9 had talked about, his marvelous light. Right now I'm under the marvelous light of his word and his forgiveness and all his blessings, and I am eagerly anticipating basking face to face in his glory. What a beautiful thought to end with, Mark. With this. A very uplifting thought. Very right? uplifting, To all yes. the Christians <laughs> out there, 
You were once not a people, but look who you are now. Mm, And you have received mercy. And don't spend your life griping. Are you proclaiming the excellencies of God? All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this scripture hike through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll pick up verse 11 through verse 25 in our next podcast. God bless.